There's nothing in human life outside the authority of Scripture. If Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of all, and he governs all by his word. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com, S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. This morning, Isaiah chapter 66, on Reformation Sunday, our theme this morning is Sola Scriptura. Isaiah 66, hear the word of God. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the word of the Lord. Our God in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us today from your word, through your word, on your word, by your spirit, of your son, from the father, into our souls, leading us into sweet submission to the authority of your word, We sit under the power of your word today that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and always accomplishes the divine purpose for which it has been sent. And we pray that you would do that even today among us. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. You may be seated. And God said, let there be light and there was light. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred 
and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. The sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. 
they said to one another, did not, did not our hearts burn within us when he was on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is in you believers and is at work. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his glory, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is the word of the Lord. This is the word above all earthly powers that Martin Luther spoke of. The Word of God testifying to the Word of God about the Word of God read in the hearing of all God's people. It ought to be clear to you from what we have just heard that our God is a speaking God. Our God is a speaking God. He spoke the world into existence and even though we know that our God is a speaking God who spoke the world into existence, it's not as though God was silent 
before Genesis 1. God did not begin speaking in Genesis 1. Our God has always been with his eternal word facing him in a communion of love in the Spirit. And though our God did not need to create to have someone to speak to, he accommodates himself. And as John Calvin says, he accommodates himself to speak to us. He lisps to us. He lisps to us humans in human words. For the God who speaks will have fellowship and communion with those whom he has created. And so he not only speaks, he speaks to us. He spoke to Adam. He spoke to Eve. He spoke to Cain. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. Because our God is not only a speaking God, our God is the God who speaks to us. And that speaking to us evokes a response from us, a response of either faith, love, and obedience, or unbelief, hostility, or disobedience. And not only does our God speak, His speech acts. The very words of God are active and powerful, and they perform what they say. God's speech acts. God's very word does exactly what it says it's going to do. Church, listen to this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Because God's speech acts. It accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. And it does not return void. And the speech acts of our God our Trinitarian, the Father speaks through the Son and by the Spirit. And because the Father speaks through the Son, who is His eternal Word, and by the Spirit, who is His eternal breath, the completer of everything, the Word does not return void. Because our God was eternally speaking in His own eternal communion of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when our God then turns out of himself to speak to us, he speaks to us covenantally. He enters into covenants with us, and he makes those covenants with words. He makes those covenants with binding words, words that bind, words that hold. He makes covenants with oaths. God makes his covenants with promises, you see. God speaks, and when he speaks, he speaks covenants, and those covenants are given to us by words, words of promise that God himself intends to keep and to hold by his covenant loyalty. And he secures the very foundation of those words with blood, a blood oath. And when God enters into a covenant with us, ratified through blood, given by words, we respond to God's covenant and we say, yes, Lord. And the God who spoke is the God who would have his very word written down for us so that we might have a permanent word, a preserved word, a word for all generations. God has the spoken word written for us in this divine mystery of a concurrence 
between the human writer who writes from his personality out of his historical circumstances according to his gifts to the people that he's actually writing to and while he is writing that concurrently the Spirit of God is breathing the Word of God through him so that what the writer writes is not simply the Word of man but he has written the very Word of God we believe that the scriptures are inspired by God they are breathed out by God they are verbally breathed out by God each word they are all breathed out by God verbal plenary inspiration written by men as they were carried along by the Spirit of Christ so that we can confidently say that what the Bible says God says this is God's word by the way Pastor John I'm on number eight but I'm slowing down. (laughs) We cannot say that, of course, everything that is written is inspired. You see, our God's Scripture speaking is canonical. Our God's Scripture speaking is limited to the 66 books of the Bible, just these books, the 39 from the Old Testament and the 27 from the New Testament, these are the ones who were, these are the letters and books that were preserved by the Holy Spirit. This canon, this rule, Jesus had accepted the Old Testament canon in his lifetime in the form of the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The apostles wrote the letters of the New Testament, and the Spirit preserved these letters for us in the Bible that we presently have, limited to these 66 books, and they were received by the church as authoritative and as the canon. And it is these 66 books, the Bible, the Word of God, breathed out by the Spirit of God, that have a single subject. This book has one message and we cannot miss it. This book exists from Genesis to Revelation to tell us one thing, who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has come to do. Jesus is the hero of this book. Speaking in this book is not only the Son, the Son is speaking in this book about himself because Jesus is the greater Adam. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Noah. Jesus is the greater Joshua. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the prophet of his people. Jesus is the priest of his people, and Jesus is the king of his people. The Bible exists to reveal Jesus Christ to us so that when we open this book, we are before the wonder and the mystery of God made flesh. If we open our Bibles and we do not find Jesus, we are not being guided by the Holy Spirit. We are reading the Bible wrongly because this book is about Jesus Christ. And because this is God's Word spoken to us in His Son and by the Spirit, it is and has the very character of God.
himself. This book is true because God is true. This book is trustworthy because God is trustworthy. This book is infallible because God is infallible. This book cannot have error in it because God does not have error in him. Now, though these are true of the original manuscripts, as we say, it is not as though God is going to give us original manuscripts that are infallible and give us original manuscripts that are without error and are true in all that they say, and then turn around and allow the translation process to give us something that we cannot trust. Right? So the preservation of God's Word, we are still able to say that this is God's Word, and it is infallible, and it is inerrant, and hard work has to be done, and comparisons have to be made, and apologetics must exist to help us understand these things. But nevertheless, you cannot say that God, in His infinite wisdom, decided to give you less than the Word of God with what you carry around as your Bible that we call the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And so it is inerrant, and it is infallible, and it carries with it the very authority of God. On all that it speaks, it is true, and it is without error. And though this word is so deep that scholars can never plumb the depths, I have had at least a handful of people, at least five people within the last month, ask me, why do you always have a book in your hand, and why are you always studying? And I always give the same answer, because this book is worthy of my all, and there's so much in it I don't know. And I just want to know. If he, if he, wrote, if he wrote to us, don't you want to know? If he gave you a book and he said, here is everything I want to tell you. Here's everything I want to tell you. I have a little book that, I, that is in my office. Um, it was written by my wife. It was written during our courtship. And every day when we courted, she wrote me a letter. But she didn't give it to me. She waited, I believe, until we got married. And then on our, when we got married on our wedding night, she handed it to me. And she said, these are the letters that I've been writing to you in my courtship. You want to know how important that book is to me? That's a really important book. But as wonderful as it is, is, it's not as important as this book. I cherish that book she gave me. But this book here is what that book is from God to me, what that book is from Teresa to me. Why wouldn't we want to know what it says? Even the parts in Leviticus. And I say that because here's why, right? Because of all the things that God could have said, this is what He said, right? Of all the things that God could have said, this is what He said. So what He said is what He wants us to know. And so we should, we should take this for real and want to know what it is that He actually said. So this word is so deep that scholars can never plumb the depths. Hard study is required. The illumination of the Spirit is necessary. But listen, it is also clear enough for a child to understand. Right? Paul told Timothy, from infancy you have known 
the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. My grandson, Nolan, is going to Awana clubs now. And every week he's memorizing a Bible verse. And we will FaceTime Nolan before he goes to Awana so that we can hear him recite the Bible verse to us before he goes. He doesn't understand this right now, but he has no idea what that means to me to have him storing up the knowledge of God in his heart and the word in his heart from the beginning of his days and how grateful I am to my daughter and my son-in-law for raising Nolan and Charlie in the way that I raised her in the way that my parents raised me and raised Denny, that we always had the scriptures alive in our hearts because the scriptures are not only for the greatest scholar, they are also for the simplest child. They, there's, there's this amazing way in which the Bible can be both at the same time. It humbles the proud and it exalts the weak. It's this amazing, amazing book. Being that this is the only word we need, therefore, sola scriptura. Because this is the only book we need, sola scriptura, but let me add to that today. I would like us to use the phrase from now on, and Jordan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I did not go over this with Jordan ahead of time. I've been in some pain. There's been a lot going on. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. Sola et tota. Okay, I did it right. A little Latin grammar there, worked it out, right? Sola et tota scriptura. Only scripture and what? Tota. All of scripture, right? Only scripture and all of scripture. So that means that we don't shy away from the difficult things that the Holy Spirit has said in the Word. We take it all, every bit of it, but also we realize that ultimately Scripture alone is the final, supreme, and highest authority in matters of faith and practice. Now, it's important that we don't do this, okay? So here's what we got to do. We, can't, we can say sola scriptura, but we cannot say solo scriptura. We can say sola scriptura, but we cannot say nuda scriptura. So that means no nude scripture and no you and your Bible alone. Okay, here's why. That's how every cult has ever started. Solo versus sola. Every solo scriptura was a man who went off to a mountain with his Bible and came back down and he had a following and they drank Kool-Aid. All right? That's just what happens um, when you have no secondary accountability. So, so this is important. Sola Scriptura means all of Scripture, and it means that Scripture is the final authority in matters of faith and practice, but it does not mean that there are not legitimate secondary authorities under the scriptural authority that have some authority in our lives. For instance, when I preach a sermon, or Pastor Noyes, or Pastor Mink, or Pastor Jeremy preaches a sermon, I'm telling you right now, our sermons have fallibility in them. They have errors in them, because we is us, right? So I don't stand up to you and say, I just preached you an infallible sermon. If I did, I'm making a claim to deity. What I can say is I just preached you what I hope is a faithful sermon from an infallible book. It's different. But when I preach to you, it's, it's a secondary authority. You have to deal with it. It's important. The creeds are secondary authorities. 
They're not scripture, but they're important. The confessions are secondary authorities. They're not a final authority in matter of faith and practice, but they are secondary authorities, and they are important. They provide the witness of, listen, the secondary authorities provide the witness of the Holy Spirit through the church to the testimony of faithful preaching that comes when you exegete the Bible. That's why you need secondary authorities. And that's what we do when we preach, is we are exegeting Scripture as a secondary authority in your life to bring to you the final authority in your life, which is the Scriptures. So sola scriptura does not mean solo or nuda, okay? It also doesn't mean the part that you like the best, right? I love Romans. Well, guess what? There's other books. And you've got to have the whole of the scriptural range in our lives. Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. And now this brings me to my 13th point, an amazing feat done on a Sunday that you'll never forget. All of this sermon this morning was to get to this point here, the authority of Scripture. If everything that we've heard so far when I read all those verses from the Bible, and that if everything I've said so far is true, then that means all things answer to the Word of God, because Scripture's speaking has authority over all. Now, church, I want you to listen right now, because this will be the area where it gets a little squirmy. This will be now where you'd be taking a, a trip to the restroom. This is where it's going to get uncomfortable for a little bit for all of us, including myself, okay? What the Bible says, God says. Jesus is Lord, and He rules with this scepter, which is His Word. The Word of God is the ultimate authority for all things created and redeemed. Not just authoritative over redemption, but authoritative over creation. And it's important that we agree with this, because if we only believe that the Word of God is authoritative over redemptive things, then all the issues regarding marriage, family, sexuality, Create, all the things of the created order are off, can go do what they want to do. It's only the little world inside the church that answers to the Word of God if the, if the Word of God only has authority over redemptive things. But that's not what we're confessing. That's not what we read this morning in all of those verses. The Bible teaches us that the Word of God has authority over the entire created order and over the redemptive order inside the created order. I love the way that Kevin Van Hooser says this, besides the fact that if your name is Van Hooser, it's a cool name. Um, he says this, the book, this book, I love this, this book is God's say-so, right? Parents, have you ever said, because I say so? Or have you ever been a, have you ever been a kid, a child, or you've heard mommy and daddy say, because I say so. Well, no, I'm looking for a reason, right? <laughs> so, I, because God says so. The Scriptures are because God said so. That's it. They are His say-so, and they're His say-so on everything, okay? Only in Scripture do we have God's say-so on all that He wants to say so. Okay? On everything that God wants to say so, He has said so in Scripture. 
It is in a written form and it's in a permanent form. And if we are going to bow to the authority of the Lord God, then we must bow to the authority of His Word. Church, the Word of God is the ultimate Word in your life. It bears ultimate authority in your life. If there is something that contradicts the Word of God, it is simply false. If there is something that contradicts the Word of God, it is simply wrong. If there is something that contradicts the Word of God, it is simply bad. It is sin. The Word of God stands and is righteous and sets forth the righteousness of God and the righteous standard for us. We cannot be getting, letting ourselves get into this nonsense of relativism or the you-do-you thing and I'll-do-me thing. Either every other authority in the universe has to submit to the authority of the Word of God. Every authority in the universe. There's nothing in human life outside the authority of Scripture. If Jesus is Lord, He is Lord of all, and He governs all by His Word. Peter Lightheart put it like this, if Jesus is Lord of all, there are no Scripture-free zones. There are no off-limit zones to Scripture in our life. Scripture is our final and highest authority for everything in all circumstances, and it does not give us a shortcut. What I mean by that is this. This is important, okay? Because we do this as elders all the time. We, we have to because we answer to the Word of God. There are no shortcuts, meaning sometimes you've got to go back to the drawing board again, and you have to say, I don't really know everything that God says about this right now, but I have to make a decision. And rather than fly by the seat of your pants or do something stupid or, or follow your desires or follow your lusts or, or just make a dumb decision because it's pragmatic in the moment, it's right for us to go hide somewhere with a Bible and do some hard Bible study to find out what God has said on this thing. Has God said something about the circumstances that I'm facing or the situation that I'm in? Sometimes there's no shortcut. You just got to go do the hard work of scriptural study, and then you want to check that against what other people have said and so forth. It's, it's, sometimes it takes a while. It takes some work to do so. And because we're in the business of immediacy, and everybody wants an answer immediately, everything's got to be done now, and all of this nonsense, there's no time anymore for patient, thoughtful, working out of things over time with respect to the Scriptures, and we are the worst for it. The church ought to be the people that stand up and says, wait, man, we need to find out what God says on this first. And then we roll on. We don't give in to the short cuts. And if there's no Bible-free zone, then there's no Bible-free 
moment. All moments answer to the Word of God. You are either saying in a given moment, and I am saying in a given moment, yes to the Word of God or no to the Word of God. That's why you're grateful that Jesus always said yes to the Word of God so that His righteousness and His track record of keeping the Word becomes yours in your justification so that you can say, in my justification, in union with Christ, I've kept the Word. I've said yes to everything I'm supposed to say yes to. I'm not in the courtroom anymore. I'm outside the courtroom. But when you get outside the courtroom and into the jungle, right? In the jungle, you, you got to have the Word because the jungle's crazy, okay? The jungle's nuts. The jungle's chaotic. The jungle is dark. And you got to have a sword and you got to have a light. You got to have the Word in order to make it through the jungle that we're living in these days. And so we must be willing to do the hard work of coming before and submitting everything to the Bible. So I'm going to ask you this morning, where right now are you foolishly saying no to the Bible in your life? Where have you decided to clutch a self-zone in which you know that God has spoken into it, but you've decided, ah, I don't care. This is what I'm keeping for me. It's a dangerous place to be in that situation. And let us remind ourselves this morning as I close. Let's just be honest. Let's be frank. Let's be honest where the attack point is. You heard me read in Genesis 3, the serpent came to Eve and said, hath God really said? And then he, right after that he said, God's a liar. This, the attack point that we're dealing with, the hath God said moment of our time, is threefold. First, it's the condition of our marriages. The Word of God is not unclear on, on the guidance given, on the authority given for our marriages. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, and wives, you are to submit to your husbands in everything, not the things you decide you want to. Submit to your husbands in all things, so that we know that the two of those things combined, there's harmony in the home, and Christ is honored, and Christ is glorified. And children, you are to submit to and obey and honor your parents in the Lord. And that does not mean when you turn 16, somehow you don't have to do it anymore. So the first concern that we have right now is whether or not we are honoring the, the God's structure for the home in the church as it preaches Christ and the church. That's, where, that's what we're facing. What, what, is our, what are our families preaching? And we, and, and, and we need to preach repentance first to ourselves, and then we need to submit to the Scriptures regarding the family. The second thing I would say is the holiness of our children. It's important for us to recognize how vitally important it is for our children to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and for holiness to be set before our children is way more important than coolness, way more important than being accepted, 
And the question our children should be asking themselves and our young people should be asking themselves in every situation in their life is, am I being holy and set apart for God right now in this particular situation? And, I, and it sounds like I just spoke alien in this room to link holiness and children and youth. But that has not always been the case. The church freely spoke of being holy as God is holy, seeking to be holy and set apart in our sanctification. And the fact that we think that's not important anymore means we've become blind and we've bought the lie of the world. The sanctification of our young people and our children is vital in these days because the devil is after them. Pastor Noyes could tell you story after story after story after story after story. He could spend months telling you unending stories of the way in which our youth are being attacked and seduced and being given into the desperation of the darkness. Part of growing up in a Christian home is they should grow up under the light of the gospel and the word, you see. And then thirdly, Freely submitting, we should freely submit to the Lord's creational ordinances, including on our sexuality. We cannot be buying into all of this gender stuff that's going on and trans stuff that's going on around us. It is an assault on the God of the Word, and it is an assault on the Word of God. There is not a shred of kindness or goodness in it to tell a young person that you should order your life by the greatest desire of your moment. That's foolishness. We don't order our lives by our desires. What do we do? We mortify the desires of the flesh, and we submit ourselves to the Spirit of the living God who reorders us after God's creational and redemptive purposes, you see. And these are areas in all of our lives, these three, home, children, and sexuality, where the attack is. That's where Satan is making his attack right now. And we don't have to wonder where, it's, where it is. We don't have to go, well, I wonder. No, we know where it is. So let's be wise. Wisdom is pick up the Bible and tell me what kind of man I should be, God. Pick up the Bible and tell me what kind of wife I should be. Pick up the Bible and tell me what type of youth, teenager I should be, what type of child I should be, and what God already made me to be, boy or girl. And to find that there. And to know that because we're justified, because we are justified in Christ, we never have to worry about these issues being a matter of salvific issue. They are a matter of sanctifying, harmonizing, glory to God issues, which is why we care about them. We need to submit to the authority of God in every area of life as we are maturing in grace. And because we know we're all going to fall short all of the time, we cannot use it as an excuse, but we come to the table and we let the table and the unity of the table and the grace of the table strengthen us again so that we might move forward back into the jungle again and seek to honor God in the world that requires both a machete in one hand and a light in the other hand to get through. And all of it is going to come from this book. Amen? Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray 
that you would bring us to the table both in humble repentance and in renewed commitment to seek to honor you, knowing that we can only do so by grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.